you are here and we are here. Join us and be with us. Create in us the clean heart and right spirit that we need. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jeremiah says, the days are surely coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The days are surely coming when I will create a new covenant. So what is a covenant? A covenant is a binding agreement, although they are often broken. Marriage is a covenant agreement. We covenant to be with that person. Um, sometimes you have covenants over land or all kinds of things. And covenants can be between a greater party and a lesser party. It can be between equal parties. But in the terms of God's word, a covenant is always a covenant with the greater and the lesser. God is in charge. Interestingly, it is interesting that this verse, this new covenant, pops up in this passage from Jeremiah. Now we're toward the end of Jeremiah when it does. But the bulk of Jeremiah has been gloom and doom. I mean, things couldn't get much worse. And he predicts all through it, the punishment of the house of Israel and Judah. At that point in time, they're in two separate locations. They're both Jewish um, in background. And he anticipates the destruction of the temple. And the fact that most of the people, not all of the people, but a huge number of the people in 587 B.C. will be carried off to Babylon where things are not so good. And so, as he predicted all the terrible stuff, he changes gears and he says, but the Lord is going to give his people a new covenant. A new covenant. He is the only prophet that speaks of a new covenant. So, First of all, we're going to look at the Old Covenant. We just went through the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was presented to the people by Moses. Remember, it was engraved on a rock. And it was absolutely full of thou shalt nots. Not all of them, but a great number of them. The mark of the Old Covenant was what? You know this. Circumcision, which meant that it was a what? male-oriented covenant. The males were in charge of everything. They ran the family. Um, if the man and the family converted to something, the whole family did. So the mark of the covenant was circumcision. Okay, but it tells us that the people did not keep the covenant. And basically the covenant was pretty straightforward. You shouldn't do this. You should do this. Only worship God. You shouldn't do it. And so we read it quite easily. But it's a bit more complex. For example, the Old 
Testament said you should not commit murder. Now, I'm betting that no one here has actually physically murdered anyone. But do we ever consider that we murder people's spirits or their reputations by how we speak to them? By how we act? So perhaps we do commit murder. I'll be honest. Do you ever covet what someone else has? Now, I'm going to tell you. The other day, I was playing cards. And out of the mouth, one of my friends said, because you all know I have a house in Maine, or did, it's under contract. But anyway, she said, oh, we're going to Maine to visit another one of our mutual friends. And I said, great. She said, well, we're flying up in their private plane. <laughs> Whenever they want to go somewhere, they just call their pilot. And I'm like, okay. Be still, my heart. <laughs> what could I do with a private plane? So, yeah, I mean, there's times that we all wish we had something that we don't. Maybe when you were a teenager, you took something that wasn't yours. That was a trend for a while to um, do among the teens. So, the fact is that the Old Testament covenant was very general in what it was saying. It was specific, but also encompassed more than just the words. And the people obviously did not understand it. And in a way, it was kind of God's rules for the life of the community. But the community didn't want to abide by the rules. Now, in chapter 17 of Jeremiah, he says something very interesting. He says, the old heart is deeply engraved with an evil inclination to rebel against God and his laws. Jeremiah understood that within ourselves, we carried that uh, sense of rebellion. We wanted to do what we wanted to do, no matter what the laws were. So he predicts that there will be a new covenant. And it will be a significant change because this new covenant will be marked by a heart circumcision, which means it's no longer a male-oriented covenant. It's open for everyone. And it will be written on the heart. Now, we tend to think of the heart as the source of all emotion, of grief, of pain, of love. Think about Valentine's Day and the hearts and the balloons and all of that. The heart, for us, is a source of emotion. Not so for the Jewish nation. That was not how they understood the heart. The heart for them was their will what they did, how they lived, totally different from the emotional response. And so 
It was actually the source of their actions or their choices because they could do what they wanted. Now, the new covenant is going to be established by Jesus, both by his incarnation and ultimately by his crucifixion. The whole package comes together and this new covenant is presented to the people in a reality. And as we look at the gospel this morning, we find out that some Greeks have come to see Jesus. Now, that might be like, well, I'd like to see Terry, and I can see Terry. But in their terms, when they ask to come and see somebody, they are really asking to meet them, to speak with them, to engage with them, to understand them. It's more than just the physical thing of seeing. And they ask to come and see Jesus. And so... Jesus' disciples go to Jesus and say, well, we've got some Greeks here, Greeks being that they're Gentiles, um, they'd like to see you. And Jesus doesn't respond to that. He throws out this strange um, agricultural saying, and he says, well, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, it just withers and dies. But if it's planted... If it's buried, it will become a new plant, a new creation, so to speak. Well, interesting. What he's really saying in that passage is these Greeks will be there to experience what's going to happen, his death. And I don't know if they were still there for the resurrection, but this understanding that he has to be put into the ground and that by rising again, a whole new way of doing life is going to be created. Now, agricultural parables don't do much for me because, you know, I didn't live back then. They understood exactly what he was saying. That one little seed could produce abundant, abundant. And that's what Jesus is saying. When I die, there will be an abundance of life. There will be abundance of new things. So, John sees, and Jesus actually uses the word fruit. He says, you know, there's going to be, or John uses the word fruit, the fruit of this death and resurrection. And for him, the word fruit means community. It means what's going to happen out of Jesus' death. What's going to be the new life? It's a metaphor for the new life of the community. They will be fruit-bearing people, having been grounded in this new covenant through the birth, the incarnation, and the resurrection of Jesus. So, that comes to us right here today. Here we are. The community of faith. And the question is, are we bearing food? Are we a sign of Jesus in the world? Are we caring for each other, loving each other? And I think, in general, from what I hear from a lot of good shepherds, there is a lot of good fruit here. But this covenant 
which is written on our hearts, causes us as Christians to look at the world in a totally different way. If we're the fruit of Jesus' death and resurrection, we carry an obligation to love, to serve. And I want to tell you, I think it's really hard in the 21st century to do that. The 21st century is not about fruit bearing. It's the me generation. You know, the old um, Burger King ad, have it your way. And the Nike ad, just do it. Whatever you want, whatever you want to do, is kind of the motto of the day. And we're called to step into that kind of living with a different philosophy of life. And it's hard. It's hard. But our commitment to Jesus tells us that that's what we're called to be. Fruit in the world. It's all about how we live. Do our lives reflect the grace of God? The grace that God has given each one of us. I read this quote, and I'd like to tell you I know where it came from, but I don't. I jotted it down. have no idea where I got it, but I've been thinking about it most of the week. It says, quote, Home is not simply the place where the heart is. It is the gift of God. So home is the gift of God's love, his salvation to his children. Home, brothers and sisters in Christ, is grace. All that is poured out on us, all that has been given to us, it's the circumcision of our hearts that we may be his people. May it be so.